Welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming. Visit TeamRankstar.com for all the latest Tesla news, and visit Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Lutz, from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me, our co-host, uh, Dead Broke Nerd, uh, DBN Man. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I've been slightly under the weather the last week or so. Uh, I've been missing some streams just because I've been trying to, you know, stay healthy. You know, one of the things that I've found... Uh, when I get sick, I like to work out a lot because it, I find that I actually stay sick less long. So, but you know, it's also getting up the energy when you've got like some chest congestion. You're just like, oh, gotta want to go to the gym. <laughs> uh, so I've been uh, been trying to fight through that. So I've missed a couple streams, unfortunately, which is a bummer because there's a lot of uh, decks that I still want to mess around with. Some, you know, I, I still need to hit legend. I've almost hit Legend just off of casually playing decks. I mean, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but uh, I like I have not been trying to hit Legend, and I'm like almost there. I'm up in rank one right now, like halfway up the the constellation. So. Oh wow! Well, yeah, you're just a couple games away. You could push it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's casual, so just just uh, get that good. You, I mean, you're playing casual, but you must be playing execute, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I'm uh, playing casually. <laughs> I'm not playing casual, but I'm playing casually. Uh, no, I actually, I don't know. I uh, I, I did put some grizzly gourmets uh, in a few things, which only in decks that I think already could use them uh, somewhat optimally. So like, I only put grizzlies in decks if I'm already running like either Cloudrest or Shining Saints. So, but uh, but I, I do. I've always liked that card as a tech choice anyways because it blows up like ward crafters and daggerfall mages uh sure. so it, it's actually been a nice thing to revisit i hadn't messed around with it recently i think that this is off topic but it would have been cool if they had had like the same effect but they had given like a little a little something in there because when a grizzly gourmet turns an oblivion gate into a sweet roll <laughs> it doesn't make sense Right, like the, uh, like the graphic darkness behind Grizzly Gourmet, right, is you played your yeah. Daggerfall Mage, and I cooked them into a sweet roll <laughs> that I am now going to eat. And if they had made that sweet roll like some sort of like a stone, I don't know, something or other, like they had just yeah. changed the art on it whenever you hit an like a, a, a portal, because it just doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, why am I taking this obsidian portal and turning it into a sweet roll? I'm not real sure. Uh, that that was a cool. That was an opportunity for a completely unnecessary cosmetic Easter oh, yeah. egg there that they oh, could have yeah. done something with. That was missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. A very obscure one, but a missed one. And I don't know. Maybe they. I don't know if they thought that people would be so desperate for execute effects that they'd start running a bunch of grizzly gourmets. But uh, 
Uh, and not not even really that I felt that desperate. I mean, I've kind of been telling people I, I I'm not like I'm almost happy when I my opponent's playing invade because I'm like I feel like I am comfortable playing against it. You know what I mean? Like I've gotten yeah. comfortable playing against it. I haven't had an issue with it. Recently. What I have here here's the two here's the thing that I've found that's actually more frustrating about invade than invade itself is that every deck is teched against invade. So mm. every deck is naturally teched against a lot of things with two health or two attack. That's I think yeah. that's probably been more frustrating for me than anything. It's like I'm not even playing invade. I'm playing something completely different. But every time I play, you know, my my earlier game cards that I was excited to play, and maybe I'm not even necessarily teched too strongly against invade, but I just don't want to play invade. I'm just getting trounced by executes because yeah. it's like that's that's out there everywhere. Grizzly gourmets executes. You know, any one of the different ways that people have found to deal with the gates. Um, and I think that's actually been more frustrating than anything for me. It's like, I know for a fact that execute was not meant for me. I know it wasn't meant yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> against me, and I get so upset about it. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I knew I that was supposed to be in there for a gate, and I'm not running gates. Don't use it, you know? And, yeah. And so I don't like losing again. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense, but the cards that you would put in a deck to tech it against gates are also good cards against early game stuff mm-hmm. um so i think it is a boon like you are you are sort of like shoring up um against you know a lot of a lot of the early game cards that i'm probably playing right now sure. if you are i mean uh, is this the return of the two mana three two are we gonna see the the revival of aggressive statted two drops maybe maybe yeah, yeah it would be I would like it. So my my week in Tessel was probably the most frustrating week I have oh. ever had. Um, it, I, I'm not even joking. Like, it may be the most frustrating week. I probably played bordering on 40 games. And I can count on one hand how many games I won out of those 40 games. Um, for the record, that's a lot of games to lose. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of games. So I got on to the arena kick after talking with CVH last week. I'd already started dabbling. Mm-hmm. I was excited about that. And I, I stormed up to rank five. And once I got to rank five, I've probably drafted six to eight arena decks. And I have never gotten out of the snake. I have uh. never gotten more than two wins on an arena deck since I hit rank five. Um, I don't know if I fell apart I don't know if there's just like a break in the way that they do MMR at that point. And, and uh, it was just crazy. I don't know if I just got the shaft on, you know, a half a dozen arena decks. Uh, I don't know what it was, but just beyond frustrated, we're going to talk about the gauntlet. Um, I play the gauntlet really did not do well in the gauntlet. I don't think that was the gauntlet's fault. I think that, <laughs> you know, I like played on day one and I played against some like very, very good master series players a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was a bummer. Um, and uh, then I played ladder some, and I, you know, I tried, I went back and I tried to make my Tribunal Skeletons deck work. I really do, don't have a right to be frustrated when I'm playing like the most jank awful deck and I lose. Like I don't, I don't have a right to, but I will say this. I played a couple of casual games off the rank ladder and mm-hmm. I won a few of them and that felt fantastic. So uh, it was a very interesting week in Tessel. Um, I ended up downloading um, uh, Teamfight Tactics 
in order to get a break. <laughs> and uh, I finished, I got on, I finished my quests and stuff because I can do that in a game or two. And, and that was fine. But yeah. uh, I, it was one of those weeks where I was just like, I just need a break. And it wasn't invade focused at all. It wasn't like mm. the, it wasn't like RNG fest that made me upset or not. It was just like, it was just consistently bad luck in terms of drawing. You know, I would play one game where I was playing a, a Redoran sort of hand buff conscription deck. And, you know, one game I would draw nothing but two drops. It, it, you know, I'm at 10 mana and I yeah. still draw almost nothing but two drops. The next game, not a single two drop in my hand for the first four rounds. I can't play anything until turn four. Right? It was just like, <laughs> it was, it was like, it, it was one extreme or the other, one game after another. Finally, I was like, you know what? I'm, this is actually having a negative impact on the way I'm relating to my family. I need to put this game the heck down and yeah. just take a break. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to know that even if you're content creating and you love a game, it's okay just to take a break. Yeah, no, totally. I do that all the time. I mean, honestly, like uh, some weeks I barely play Tesla. Like I keep track of it. I watch other people play. You know, I'll talk to people on on Discord and stuff. Uh, and I, when I stream, I heck some you know that's you. Sometimes that's the only time I play all week. Now that hasn't been recently. Like recently, I found myself actually picking up Tesla in my spare time and like playing a couple games here and there, which is cool because I haven't done that in a while. You mm -hmm. know, um, so I and I guess it's just a testament. One, I've been on, a, you know, not to brag, but I've been on a pretty big win streak for a while. Like I I haven't lost much. Uh, so that feels good. And it's kind of like that reward mechanism. Oh, I won. I should play again. Oh, I won. I should play again. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, once you start that losing train, you stop wanting to play, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, and once uh, you start that losing train, you do just become overall a worse player, which is probably something yeah. we can talk about more thoroughly in the future. Mm -hmm. You're definitely worse at math when you're, when you're losing. When games. you're pissed off. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I like earlier today I was like it, just playing and I was I had lost a game. I was upset again, a little upset and I I know that I had a I had a 1-1 one, one and a 5-5. Five, five. Mm -hmm. And I thought I did the math and so I swung with the 1-1 one, one and realized I thought I was one damage from rune at I thought I was putting him at 11 health. What I was mm -hmm. actually doing was putting him at 10 health. And of course, when I dealt that one point of damage and broke that rune, he got a prophecy javelin. Here comes the jab. Yeah, which won him the game and got rid of my five five. So you know what? That just life is like that sometimes. Yeah. That's just how it is. Uh, javelin is my uh, it's on my hit list of cards to go away. Yeah, it yeah. would be it would be good if it wasn't around anymore. I I mean I think everyone who I've talked to that supports piercing javelin. Um, is a newer player. Like the players who've been around longer, because because piercing javelin is a, and in many ways the prophecy mechanic. And if I offend somebody, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be you know a jerk or anything. But prophecy was a mechanic designed to bring players in and allow lesser skilled players to have a chance against higher skilled players or to have somebody, and this is okay, I think, it, you know, a worse draw variance, you know, okay, my draw was really bad, my opponent's draw was really good, this can get me back in the game. But in many ways, and I truly believe this, I think Tesla implemented the prophecy system, uh, Direwolf, I think, implemented the prophecy system uh, to make new players feel like they were better at the game than they actually were. 
I believe I think, that. I think there's some revisiting of the prophecy system that needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, because I think that every card that has prophecy written on it should feel bad if you play it without using it for prophecy. 100%. And yep. there are there are some very strong prophecy cards that just do not feel bad. Like you never feel bad about playing the three mana three three with drain from your hand. No. Um, you don't feel bad about protector of the innocent, the two mana three two with guard. Well, um, I do. I don't like that. I don't like two mana three twos. But okay. well, <laughs> I, I, in, in an aggressively static battle mage yeah. or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. don't mind throwing that from your hand, right? If you're no. playing aggressive, mm-hmm. um, but things like you know javelin is another one of those where at five mana, if I have it and I need to remove something, I don't feel bad about playing it from my hand at all. But yeah. I, I think specifically about um, the the this is the one the grave grasp or whatever that shackles something and puts a bunch of one one skeletons on the board and like. You feel bad if you play that. Yeah, I think that is mana. an appropriate. I mean, I, I think that's an appropriate, you know, card to put prophecy on. But you know, Fighters Guild Recruit is the best prophecy that's not named Piercing Javelin, in my opinion. I think it's better mm-hmm. than Lightning Bolt. Um, yeah, mostly because it's you can play it early. It has synergies with lots of things. Um, you know, you control decks want to play it. Um, Mid range decks want to play it. It can be applicable even if you're not a lethal deck. Even if you're not a deck that wants to use the lethal uh, effect, it's still really good. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just as good as a piercing javelin. Like sometimes yeah. it does exactly the same thing as a piercing javelin. So like yeah, it's. Uh, I think Fighter's Guild Recruit is a problem. I think Javelin's a problem. I do think Lightning Bolt's a problem. But uh, the thing is like, like the more you play this game and lose to these things when you're especially as a predominantly aggro mid-range player i can't not hit my opponent and that's the problem like inherently Mm. as my game plan says i can't not hit my opponent if i'm aggro right and so it it, like i love runes and hate prophecies that's what it is Mm. i love the rune idea and i hate prophecies Mm mm-hmm like giving mm-hmm. my opponent resources for hitting them, giving that like that little bit of a rubber band effect is great. It's brilliant. I I've always said that runes are perfect for this game. Maybe not so much the prophecies, but uh, that's all right. Yeah. We don't need to get too far into that. I I, I went off the board there. But, well, yeah. no, this is a good, you know what if you're from Sparky Pants or Bethesda, you're part of the Tesla team and you're hearing this. Listen, I mean, there are content creators out there that are still making content for Tesla, but it seems like there's less and less of those these days. Um, and so if we have a voice that's saying, hey, guess what? Like, we would really like to see you guys revisit yeah. some of the prophecy cards in the core set um, now that we're this far into the game and the game is this mature and there's this many abilities to turn the board around. Um, this this might need this might need revisited here. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, um, anyway, well, let, yeah, let's let's move on. I, I, mm-hmm. We know you had a good week in Tessel. I had a bad week in Tessel. You're rank one. I'm rank four. I'm not hitting legend for enough for another month. <laughs> I used to hit legend every month, usually yes, without too much of an issue. By the 15th, I was almost always in. Usually by the 10th hasn't been the last couple of months. But you know what? Um, you've been sick and not working out. I have a two year old and a newborn that screams all night. So, uh, you know, we're both, we're both really up a crick when it comes to finding time to play, finding time to play how we, how we would like to, but, um, what do you say? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the news? 
Um, no, I just, uh, I mean, the, the, the deck I've had been having success with, we're going to talk about, so no point in beating a dead horse. I'm ready to, uh, let's talk news. Let's talk news. History shall remember this day. Okay, so here's the thing. The news, there isn't much <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and that's going to be the case for a lot of these a lot of these episodes unfortunately in between expansions and we're going to talk a little bit about that yeah, there's probably a few noteworthy, noteworthy things um you know just recently there's been a little bit of community i don't know uh backlash isn't the word but a little bit of like some we, we've had the community get a little bit outspoken um about some dislike for a few things that tesla has added to the game um, specifically around like RNG in, in the randomness. Um, mm-hmm. And actually DBN, you and I were talking a little bit about this off stream. I don't think it's important for us to like talk about it, you know, too, too much, but uh, I do think it's important to note that it does seem that since we moved from what was it? Direwolf um, over yeah. to Sparky pants. Do you feel like there's a, a different design philosophy when it comes to RNG between Dire Wolf and Sparky Pants? Mm. Many, I'm not trying yes. to say anything bad about Sparky yeah, Pants. Yeah, no, I do. I, I mean, but most of the design philosophies I think are good. I think there's been a lot of really, and, and I'm serious, I think there's been a lot of really good things that Sparky Pants has done from a design standpoint that's made things like very interesting and they've been willing to take risks. So something like uh, Wilds Incarnate. I think Wilds Incarnate is a card uh, that that's the one that came out in Frostspark, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and, and that card, five, six with guard that if you have a, your front two runes, it draws two cards. If you are missing one rune, it draws a card. Yeah. I think Moose is, um, a really good and, and I think that it's experimental and that it toys with the idea of runes. And I like that. I, I think Moose is a great example of, of um, experimental design philosophy. And I think that like when you have a game that's as old as this, and it's not even we're not even that old, but I mean, a digital card games age faster than physical card games. Um, when you have a, a solved environment, you're used to certain types of effects. Being able to say, well, what about this type of effect? I think is really good. If we look at things like Mobilize and Expertise, I think these are really good. You know, board based you know, uh, deck building, challenging, um, effects that I've been very impressed with, but yeah, the reality is there's more RNG. Um, yeah. I mean, wax wing consume even uh, really good board based mechanics. Yeah, oh, as well. oh yeah. I mean, really incredible is brilliant. I really like the idea of consume. I want to see more consume. I like wax wing, even though it's completely based on a support, but now that I can tutor that support, thanks worldly wanderer. Uh, I'm I'm feeling way better about uh, Wax Wayne, but uh, but no, I mean like not that Direwolf was innocent. I mean Direwolf gave us certain pawnbroker. Direwolf gave us uh, Mudcrab Merchant. I mean two of the biggest culprits. Oh wow! Well, I didn't realize they gave us Mudcrab Merchant. Oh yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's Mudcrab Merchant and certain uh, pawnbroker. And, and I think certain pawnbroker, honestly, is a ridiculously powerful card. I mean, I, I've won several games. Oh. I've won. I have won games on turn three because of a good certain pawnbroker. Now, I didn't take my opponent to zero, but I won the game because, oh, look, I picked up a forked bolt. This is perfect. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's exactly what I need in this exact situation to like solidify my field lane control. You know, uh, it means, yeah, it's very swingy. Um, but like, yeah, we've gotten Manic Jack, which is a big culprit in my opinion. I, I really don't like Manic Jack. I like Manic Jack. I don't like the card Manic that goes Case. with him. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't mind keyword-based decks, but I don't like random keyword-based decks. Mm. If we look at something like Manic Jack, I love playing him with Skinned Hound and Wardcrafter and Covenant Mail. I like that. I, I think that's interesting. Manic Jack interested me from the get-go. Manic Mutations, not so much. Because the variance between Charge and Regenerate, Charge <laughs> and Breakthrough is so huge, no one can plan around it. Uh-huh. And you know? Ward. Ward. Ward, you know, if Ward, you, you, Ward Lethal and Charge can just Ward, break certain situations. And if they get exactly that one, you lose. sometimes you lose to a one in eight chance. I, I lost a game uh, because dude plays uh, Oncano, bolts my face uh, with Oncano's effect, and then uh, and then Manic Mutations, Oncano, rolls charge, swings face wins. Like mm, that's ten mm-hmm. damage to my face. Like like t- two cards, you know. I mean, it happens. And like in one one world, we say, oh, it happened. Okay, it's just a game. It's just one game. It's statistically unlikely. And like that's how a lot of us write it off. But I can't begrudge the people. Uh, they get frustrated when sure. they look at this and say. It's not just this one card. Like, I truly believe Mudcrab Merchant was intended to be a joke and a meme. And then it became, like, viable because it was resource generation. Resource generation is overtuned, right. Yeah, it was a a one-mana one-two that that generates you something. I don't think they expected uh, Manic Mutations and Manic Jack to be as strong as it was. You know, like, because Manic Mutations were like, well, why not just run Lesser Ward, right? Mm -hmm. But... It, manic mutations comes with manic jack comes with a body it's not just a dead you know if you can develop and you get an effect like I, you know what i mean like i think at at certain points like we looked at like uh rng as these are fun cards or cards that were intended to be fun and ended up overtuned and i i don't think that's the case anymore i think we are on and have to understand that i think there is a design shift where mm-hmm. sparky pants does think that rng is I'm not. I'm not gonna say good or bad, but fun game design. Yeah. So my thought on it was this: like when when Direwolf was the, the developer of the game, and obviously there were some issues with Direwolf. I'm not saying I want to go back to Direwolf as the developer. I'm very happy with what Sparky Pants has done. I'm just saying specifically around RNG, it was as though the guys from Direwolf got together in a room and they said. Hearthstone has explored RNG because it's a digital game and they're capable of doing that. And they saw this opportunity. They said, let's explore the crap out of this. And it's frustrated a lot of people. So let's create a game that we can arguably say has significantly less to no RNG in it, right? And which was, it was never no, but it had less RNG in it. And let's draw players in off of the fact that our game has less RNG in it. And that happened for a season. And then I think they they explored it a little bit. But I think now that Sparky Pants has taken it over, like I see people from Direwolf sitting around in the room and saying, no, like this is central to who we are as a company, central to what we're developing here. We steer clear of excessive RNG. And I don't know that that's a conversation that has been had 
inside of Sparky Pants. I'm sure that they've had lots of conversations about RNG, but it seems as though from a philosophy standpoint, they're just more prone to explore it than what Dire Wolf has yeah, been. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they're more interested. I don't think it's off the table for them, whereas, frankly, Dire Wolf at the time was trying to – I mean, there was a time when Tessel was like, oh, it's the Hearthstone killer. And I think had it – frankly, I think if Dire Wolf had, had – man, I mean, I think if Dire Wolf had managed it better, it could have. Yes. Right? I mean, it was growing and it was pretty – and there was a season when there was a lot of people watching. Yeah, there was. Watching um, But I think um, – I think when it comes to I, I yeah you're right, Direwolf. They designed it and they marketed it. Bethesda marketed it as skill matters. You're tired of losing to RNG. Come play Tussle, and that's how they marketed it. That's how people came over to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know um, now that's that's not how they're marketing it. Um, I think there's got to be some people that do enjoy the the RNG stuff. Uh, it's hard to when you're not a casual player and I don't want to, I don't want this to be a stupid casual players because I play casually. I consider myself a competitive casual, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think about the games that like, I just log on and play a little bit here and there. And I don't care about ranking up. I don't care about, you know, whatever, like Dota underlords. I play Dota underlords when I feel like it, I boot it up, play it, have fun, win or lose, have fun, put it away. I don't think about the meta. I don't think about strategy. Um, you know, I don't, I, I do think about the strategy and I'm, because my brain is wired that way, but like, I don't, I don't dive deep. You're not spending your time outside of the game, looking up metal lists and studying it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't dive deep. I stay surface level. Right. And I think there is something enjoyable about explosive random mechanics for those players who have yet to dive deep, who are looking at this as, Hey, you know, I love this mobile game. We already know. I mean, we talked to CBAs last week. You know, they have a huge Android player base. And I think that there's a lot of people that in it. And again, I am not begrudging them because I am like this for other games who say, oh, man, whoa, that was really weird and cool and crazy. Isn't it so cool that my Sir and Pondberger gave me a fork vault here? Wow, that was awesome. I'm going to tell my friend about it. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. That makes for cool stories. But when you play hundreds of matches a week, those aren't cool stories those are aberrations in a greater trend that you're analyzing in your head of okay i won these games and then this game i lost because of a one in 16 chance thanks pawnbroker right Mm -hmm. it it starts messing with your head you're like i didn't deserve to lose this you know (laughs) (laughs) and i think that the more you dive into it the more those subtle things grate on you so i I don't know i (laughs) it doesn't bother me as much as it used to frankly. And I think that's come with me taking a bit of a step back from the competitive scene after the Master Series, like just stepping back, you know, I'm, I'm not grinding out High Legend, trying to test all the meta lists so I can cast. I'm just kind of building cool, fun stuff. And hey, if my jank gets me to Legend, great. If it doesn't, oh well, you know. <laughs> which I think maybe builds into this conversation too, which is part of that, that we don't have news this week to talk about, right? Um, because we don't have a really strong competitive scene. Now, I don't, I don't want to. Um, I'm not saying anything negative against Warp Meta. Obviously, mm. with my work, I don't get time to hang out on Sundays online and watch tournaments. 
Um, and at this stage in my life, quite honestly, I don't have a lot of time to do that. Um, but one of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed during my time in Hearthstone is when we weren't getting consistent news about new sets coming out, when we weren't in card reveal season, when we weren't in many of the, the things that would be considered, you know, significant news in Hearthstone, um, we still had a competitive scene to watch. Um, and even if we weren't watching, you know, the pro scene, we were getting to watch, you know, the college championships and things. Mm-hmm. There was stuff to watch and there was stuff to talk about. And it seems like Tessel, we don't have that. Like it's, it, it isn't there. Like there, there's not even a consistent place to find meta snapshots. I mean, uh, honestly, TRS is the best place probably to find those meta snapshots and Endozoa puts those together, which I really appreciate, but we don't like, we don't have that. Um, a, a way to consistently take a look at the meta and see how it's evolving outside of who brought what to warp meta this week. And a lot of people probably don't even know that warp meta is a thing who play this game. Uh, so, you know, it's not like you log into your client and you get a notification that says like, Hey, we're in the middle of a, a the competitive season right now, or this is going on. And, and maybe you get a little bit of that during masters, but it just seems like there's a long dead season without m- much to add to the news because we don't have a competitive scene. Um, I think yeah. that hurts. I think that hurts Tessel a lot. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this for a while and um, I think uh, community tournaments are very important. And I think they sh- they're valuable. And by the way, um, the side note about Warp Meta, uh, congratulations uh, to Endo for winning this week's Warp Meta. Oh, nice job. Uh, Endo has gotten, and I don't want to misquote, but like over a dozen second places in Warp (laughs) Meta. He had never won Warp Meta despite, I don't know how many, maybe a hundred, you know, uh, entries. And he finally got first place. So big congrats uh, to Endo. Nice, congrats. I was thinking about this because like, I I mean, obviously, I totally agree. I, I want to be casting more. I like casting. I like casting Tessel. I want to cast more. I mean, purely selfish here, right? Um, I don't get to play Warp Meta um, usually because I usually work on Sundays. Now, the few times sure. that I haven't worked on Sundays, you know, I will usually uh, just – tune in and, and watch because by the time I know I'm not working on Sunday, uh, I, I haven't signed up. I haven't tested. I just don't feel ready. Not that that's really a big deal. I could just slap some lists together and go and have fun, which I encourage people to do. You don't have to be MLG pro put 10 to 20 hours of testing into each list. Seriously. You can just sign up and play warp meta, but I'm a bit of a, I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm definitely, you know, one of those people that if I'm going to go and compete, I need to be prepared or I'm going to be grumpy at myself. Uh, so, you know, I don't, so I don't play warp meta uh, because I usually don't know until Friday or so if I'm working Sundays or not. Um, the only exception was the one time I got to cast uh, warp meta with Ian bits, which was a blast um, was he told me in advance and I was able to go, Hey boss, can I have Sunday off? You know what I mean? Sure. But I can't do that every week. Uh, and I was thinking about this, and I, I told you all that so I can tell you this. And I don't even know how it's related. Uh, imagine Master Series twice a year. Now, not 
Masters series, right? It could be something else. Winter Championships, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, currently, and I'm not super involved in it. I've traveled to a few tournaments, and I've done well when I have traveled, but I just don't get too much. But I play Legend of the Five Rings, and they have three big tournaments. Now, they have a lot of medium-sized tournaments, which you would, like, say, okay, this is something that we would want, right? It's kind of like how Hearthstone does. Uh, but they have three big tournaments, right? Worlds, Winter Court, and Gen Con. And they're spaced throughout mm. the year. Sure. Okay? So about every five months, or four, if every four months, you have a big tournament. Imagine that. Even if it's twice a year. But imagine, okay, at Christmas time, there's the Winter Championship. And then yeah. in July, sure. there's, there's Worlds. I mean, that would make such a big difference. It really Just, would. I mean, it's serious because you'd be sitting here in October saying, I got to start prepping for December. You know, I got to start prepping for January, whatever it was, you know, and sure. like it would, it would feel like it was so much closer. And then you finish that one up. And yeah, there's still dead time. Yeah, we still wish we had, you know, the, the resources that Hearthstone has to be able to just grind out tournament series after tournament. Honestly, for me personally, I, I get fatigued of Blizzard tournaments. Blizzard tournaments or there's too many, in my opinion. Okay, like literally, literally, as soon as the Overwatch League finishes, they have the world championships. That's stupid, in my opinion. I'll just say that. I think that's stupid. You need to get people back excited about it. You know, sure. well, uh, you know, even if Legends, like you said, had, had three seasons a year, we, we got to watch some sort of qualifiers. Right. And we got yeah. to see some rebroadcasts. for goodness sakes, rebroadcasts like yeah. we don't even I, I don't know. We don't even get that, do we? I mean, we don't even have like. Well, I mean, like, so, like, the, the whole Master Series thing was, like, three months, you know? Sure. I mean, it was, like, it was like May or June, and then the it actually happened in, like, the first weekend of August or something like that, if I'm remembering this correctly. So it was, like, a three-month thing. But if we had that twice a year, then that makes so much of a difference. Sure. I mean, that means that one quarter of the year, we have tournaments that... Or, I mean, come on. I, I, I hate to say this, but I, I really feel like even much smaller card games have a with with much, much, much smaller companies have more of a competitive scene than that. Than three well, months of the year. The digital side of things is tough to. But yes, yes, Tesla is bringing up the rear or close to when it comes to Bethesda's investment in our tournament scene. And it is a problem. Mm hmm. Uh, and, I, I, and obviously this like, isn't this isn't this isn't news though like it's been no. this way <laughs> and like i like I, i'm not the one to feel like i'm attacking anybody because i don't know like i mean you know, i love cvh he's been a great guy on the show he was on last week i don't want to feel like i'm attacking him because i'm sure he has, has some sort of involvement and i obviously this is close to his heart i mean when he was a streamer he would rant constantly on his stream or consistently maybe CVH. not constantly i mean i can i can just I mean, just for anyone who's unclear, because I think you know, and I, you know, but this, the tournament scene, the competitive scene is not on CBH. No. I mean, he puts a lot, when something comes up, he runs a lot of it, but it's not his decision how much funding to allocate to tournaments. It's not his decision when we run tournaments. He, you know, at least I'm pretty sure from my conversations, you know, but it's, it's okay. There is a tournament now, Christian, get involved, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like, I'm I'm sure he's pushing for something, you know. As I mean, much obviously, as yeah, that's been part of his passion, part of his heart for the game from for for so so long. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's just like I think that the further we go down this, like uh, part of the news is too, right, that this past weekend Legends of Runeterra went out for, yeah. you know, some keys went out to people. A lot of Relevant. people were playing. I mean, thousands and thousands of people were watching. I think Disguised Toast, you know, consistently had 20 some thousand people watching even his rebroadcasts, yeah. you know, trying yeah. to get a drop for one of those keys. And I wanted to try it out. So I was checking out some of that stuff. Um, and I, it, it's like every, every one of these things makes it feel like Tessel gets pushed further behind when it comes to this sort of stuff. And I think that's discouraging. Not that I think there's a lot of people who want to leave Tessel's scene to go play Legends of Runeterra, because quite honestly, it looks relatively simple to me. Um, but I, I just, there, I don't know. I think there, being someone who loves the game and wanting to see it succeed and wanting to fight to see it succeed, I have some concerns. And I, I, one of those concerns does seem like the lack of investment in fostering uh, a community where competitive play is the norm. Um, uh, I realize that probably the lion's share of the money that they make is in, you know, people taking a break at work and playing on their Android device. Um, but I, I don't know that the consistent focus on that, if that's what they're doing, is going to bode well for them in the in the future. You know, I don't know. I think that Tesla's too complex of a game for it to for them to continue in that vein and, and for it to be successful. So, you know, I, I have I have some concerns. Obviously, I'm not I wasn't going to ask CVH about some of those things, but there, I, th- I think there's some worrying trends that are going on yeah. in the game right now. Yeah. It would be exciting to see a reinvestment. I mean, we are supposed to get a tournament mode between this expansion and next, correct? I don't know about that. I, I that I think that was like a hopeful thing on their uh, roadmap, which I wouldn't mind a new updated roadmap for the record. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think the idea of announcing four expansions in a year was indication of a reinvestment. Mm-hmm. What I'm... It doesn't mean it's a reinvestment in the competitive scene. Mm-hmm. It just means that I think that Bethesda wants to keep the game around, but that doesn't mean they're going to prioritize it like Blizzard prioritizes Hearthstone. Sure. Or like, frankly, Riot will probably prioritize Legends of Runtara at least at the beginning. Runtara, Runtara. Uh, I don't uh, know. Runeterra, I think. Runeterra, okay. Yeah, I, I don't do league stuff. Uh, but, uh, and yeah, first off, I mean, just for the Legends thing, uh, I wasn't super impressed with Legends of Runeterra, but whatever. Um, what you we right. need is another dozen card games with the word Legends in the title. Oh, yeah. I That's mean, I was need. joking with, uh, with a couple... Uh, content creator friends of mine about how much it's going to screw up the YouTube algorithms <laughs> when you're searching for things. Yeah, so that's probably true. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to be like super discouraged. Yeah, I, I, we're not on death's door. We're, you know, it, it, this is, this is a. I mean, I think you and I talked about it. this. Is like a down the road thing. We're kind of just casting forward. Mm-hmm. And I think it's people who are invested in this game, who love this game, and quite frankly, we're not the people who are like hoping that it fails. Like we want to see no. this game succeed yeah. in a major way. 
Um, I think this is us saying like, hey, these are some things that we see that are a little worrying to us, um, that are a little disheartening as somebody who wants to see this game succeed so badly. And uh, and we hope to see some changes in this area in the future. And, uh, you know, whether we will or we won't is yet to be seen. But I hope that we see some see some adjustments. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and just to be clear to, to our, our listeners, you know, this isn't us saying quick leave the game it's about to collapse that's not what we're saying i Mm -hmm. I just want to be clear this is us using our platform to try to express um you know really just to give feedback Mm -hmm. you know constructive criticism i guess and i think this is an overarching this isn't just like us right this is a part of the voice of the community and i'm not saying yeah. that we're speaking for all people nope. but i do think that we are not the only people who are feeling that in this community yeah right? for sure well especially well, the tournament thing I, i'm pretty sure we speak for the majority of the community when we talk yeah, about whatever. tournaments yes uh, sure, whether, sure. whether the majority of people uh, want piercing javelin to die that remains to be seen <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the tournament, I think that is fair, that the vast majority of the community would, would want that. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about one change that they did make in this week's segment on the gauntlet. Let's do this. Okay, so this week in the gauntlet, um, we got Noble Gauntlet, and that was announced uh, the day after we recorded last week's episode, which will happen again this week. Um, But the Noble Gauntlet was a gauntlet where you cost you a ticket to get in. Um, You could play um, either uh, commons or rares in your deck, and you could make up to three runs. Um, The rewards were not fantastic this time. They were probably the least of the rewards that we've seen so far. I think like in order to get your ticket back, you had to maybe make like seven wins. Um, you could earn a handful of packs. So the the rewards were drawn back on this particular gauntlet. I'm curious to, to know why that is. Um, but tell us, DBN, I know that you don't always have a ton of time to play gauntlet, but I think you did dabble in this one at least, correct? Yeah, I actually had time on Saturday night, believe it or not. Um, I came home and I was tired, but I wasn't uh, ready to go to bed. Uh, so I just booted it up and I remembered that the gauntlet was running. And I said, ah, I still have 40 tickets. I'll burn one, and if I don't finish the run, I won't. Uh, I won't cry about it. It's not a terrible investment, right? Uh, and I didn't. I decided I'm not going to build my own deck. I'm not going to freak out over it. I'm just going to grab something. Uh, and uh, Bones provided me with a um, token empire list, mm-hmm. which I was kind of moving towards Agro Crusader, and then um, I saw that list, and I was like, yeah, all right, I play. Crusader so freaking much. Let me do something else. Let me play some Empire. And I had a seven-win run, uh, so I guess seven, seven and three, uh, which felt good. I mean, I won seven. Uh, I won six, lost one, won one, lost two. Um, okay, okay. So the first six, uh, it, it handled things very well. It felt like it was a very uh, well-rounded list, very flexible. Uh, my first loss uh, was to the deck I was going to play, uh, which is Agro Crusader. Omega Lull, you know, Resolute Ally ringed out onto a marked man with the thing. The, yeah, it was, no, literally it was a one All drop. It was, it was on turn one, it was uh, marked man, makeshift defenses, ring, and like um, some other one drop, I, I like Rebel Warden or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, great. So I play my two drop, 
And then they go, ring, resolute ally, rolls it. Uh, that's a plus three, plus three spread across three characters. One has guard. It was just over from then on out. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just the bad news bears situation you don't want to deal with. Like, having ring on a token crusader when they have resolute ally is just, like, the worst. But uh, really so strong. Lost... It's really strong. Oh, it's stupid strong. I mean, I, I can't criticize it. I don't think it's broken. It's just it's very hard to come back with if you're also an aggro list. Um, mm-hmm. But or really, it's hard to come back from no matter what. But you you need a prophecy or something to save you. But um, and then I the second loss was to uh, was because I didn't draw anything higher than a two drop uh, for the whole game. Uh, we, you oh, talked about one of those earlier. I'm like I totally uh, empathize. I didn't draw yeah. anything higher oh. than a two drop for the entire game. Now, mind you. The deck seemed to win every game that it drew Empire Oathman or Mercenary Captain. Okay. And then the game... Anytime it can buff the board. Right. Anytime it can buff the board, you know. And so, like, there's no Divine Fervors, but between Empire Oathman and Mercenary Captain, I ran three of each. I actually, Bones said two captains. I was like, I'm putting three in. And I'm glad I did, because it was killer. Uh, And then um, the last one I lost to was Prophecy Crusader. Prophecy Agri Crusader. And I swear they top decked like a king. <laughs> so I, I like every time I thought I stabilized, they would top deck like a shield breaker. And I'm like, oh, so I lost that. But I thought it was actually felt a little more balanced. I actually saw a, a good amount of diversity in there. Invade didn't feel that strong. You know, you miss out on the mm-hmm. invasion parties, and I think invasion. I didn't even, I didn't even come up against any. Invade, I came up against it several times, but as soon as I see Guild Sworn. Uh, or even really battle maids these days, I just lead shadow. Like, yeah. here, say hi to my Empire Recruiter onto or ringed out in shadow. I'm going to start, I'll get field presence through the Recruiter, or, you know, we, we'll talk about this later, but, I mean, like, I've been playing a lot of Monk. Here, I'll put my Mournhold Traitor shadow. Your <laughs> sure. gate will what die. Are you gonna, what are you going to do? Yeah. 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 Uh, Mournhold so Traitor's I, I, a really good answer to gate. I think so, yeah. I mean, think, I think Mournhold Traders is a really good card. <laughs> yeah, it is one of the better ones in the game, yeah. for sure. Um, well, my experience with Gauntlet was part of my tilting. I played two out of the three runs. Um, my first one, I played Beatdown Rhetorin. I went 0-3. Um, that was fun. Came back, played the Sorcerer deck that completely trashed me, which was like a keyword-generating Sorcerer deck that runs the new Daedra that gets every keyword. Um, I won a couple there. I think I won like three and three. That one didn't feel quite as bad. Um, I lost to Annette, Annette, I can't remember. Um, he's a very good player. Anyway, lost to him playing a Shout Scout, I think. And uh, it was just it's just like, you know, once the seven, seven bats with charge and drain come oh, down, yeah. it's just like, okay, I'm done playing this. Um, it, it was it was fine. I, I, I enjoyed this Orchard deck. I will say this. It, I didn't perform well. It was part of my tilting week, but I did enjoy the. Um, I, I think that the format was cool. I'm glad that they explored that. I thought it was cool to explore the commons and the rares, and just take out the epics and the legendaries. Um, I, I really do appreciate what CVH and what um, you know the Tesla team is doing, um, kind of creating these new custom rules around uh, around these gauntlets. I think that's really cool. Um, uh, this one wasn't the one for me in terms of success, but uh, I appreciated what they did with it, and I hope that they continue to be creative moving forward. Um, I hope to actually see more creativity moving forward, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I we talked about it with CBS last week, but I was thinking like, I like formats that are different, but still have a large card pool for a large variety of types of decks to play. Hence why I really did not like the uh, Jaws of Oblivion only with Corset, because mm-hmm. there just wasn't enough choices to play. One thing was clearly more fleshed out than anything else. Um, my favorite gauntlet so far, uh, well, before, was Pauper. And this is Pauper plus Rares. I liked it. I like these formats. I can see Pauper or Noble being a really interesting long-term format. I like mm-hmm. it. I um, I think that Noble's actually more interesting than Pauper. Yeah, I mean, that has there's more cards. It's like Pauper, yeah. but what I want, which is more options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that I, I'm excited. And no Sure. I'm excited to see, yeah, no necromancy. I'm excited to see some creativity too with like pulling certain sets in and out. Um, I, I think that that, I mean, obviously they did that with the Oblivion thing, but it it was almost like it was like I, I want to see more of that, not not like specific. I only highlight one set and put it in with the core set, and this is what you get. I'd like to see a couple of different sets. They kind of did that with like a retro gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the retro gauntlet. I thought that that was a cool idea. Um, I, I just want to see a little bit more experimentation around that. And um, it definitely feels better when the rewards are a little bit lower hanging fruit um, because you don't feel nearly as bad about going in and losing. Um, mm. if, if you're just going in there to be creative and you just get stomped because you didn't think of this combo and, and other people have, you don't feel so bad because you're going to get that horse armor or you're going to get that alternate <laughs> art card still or you're going to get a pack or two um, or you're going to get your ticket back like mm-hmm. i i like the the low buy-in high reward gauntlet that keeps people talking and keeps news coming out on a regular basis hope yeah. i hope to, to see them continue to do that the most disappointing part about noble gauntlet wasn't actually the format it was that they really they, they pulled back on a lot of the rewards that we saw in the previous gauntlet that you did have something to lose by playing it. Um, so if you, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I would, I, I mean, I, the entry was less. And so the rewards were less. I mean, I, I don't know. It didn't feel that bad to me. Well, like granted it, I did win seven games. So like that's skewed, but uh, plus like one, one ticket at this point, like for all these weeks of having three tickets, you got to figure a lot of players tickets, especially, you know, people who haven't been in the game as long are getting depleted. You know, mm-hmm. so I think having a few weeks at the one ticket thing allows people to like decide, is this worth it to play this one this week? Or do I want to save up for a higher reward one like the ones with the horse armors? Because, y- y- you know, now that and now that you can pay gold, it helps, too. But uh, it, one thing I think that would be concerning is if they did three every week and every week there was a sick reward. And, and eventually y- you're not going to get enough tickets to play that. You know? So so specifically when I'm saying better rewards, what mm-hmm. I mean is when I'm talking about lower hanging fruit, what I would like to have seen was the one arena ticket that you get back at, oh. at three wins instead of at seven wins. Yeah, okay, I see. Right, I see so it, it felt yeah. like if I come in and I can at least break even, it pays for my next run. Right, right, I get you. I get, that I'm not yeah, yeah, losing yeah. anything. Okay. I, I thought that I thought that the rewards in, in terms of like cards and packs was perfectly appropriate for a one ticket run, um, mm-hmm. but I'd like to see them put that that you know at least get back what you invested in it at a slightly lower level. Well, especially if they 
are allowing you to go up to three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I don't think it was like a grievous error or anything. I don't no. think it was like, oh, how could they possibly do this? These son of a guns, <laughs> these money gouging scumbags. Like they just want to take all my gold. These jack. But the, I think it was just like, okay, hey, if, in the future, I would love to see that receive your ticket back at a slightly lower level, so that newer players can get in there and they feel like. Because if you went in and you went two and three, you're mm. probably not going to do it again. If you don't have, if you didn't have a buildup of tickets, you're like, I'm not going to do this one again because I don't see myself ever getting to seven wins. But if yeah. you went two and three and at three wins you got your ticket back, you might be like, I think I could tweak my deck and get a third win out of this. Let's let's give it another try. My biggest issue is the is the time it takes to fully compete in it. I almost would like to see a format where you play less games. Mm. Or or you you play yeah yeah I I can see that too like I, I know that like I know that time. people are like you know then that's oh well then I have less to do but I you know I mean especially on the weekends but it's like um I mean I sat down for two hours now if I lost three games in a row yeah it wouldn't have been two hours but it was not two hours for me you know but I mean I I like, sat there and, like played and played and played and played and played and played and it's like this is cool that I'm winning. But I'm also ready to be done. Like, I seriously, I hit, like, five or six wins, and I'm like, I've surpassed my expectations. And the problem is, I'm tired and ready for bed now, and I'm not going to have time to play. I want to finish the run. That means I'm at least playing three more games, because if it's three more games, till I can, you know, end this, win or lose, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was like... Uh, I don't know. I, so would you yeah. like to see the like the top end of each gauntlet be like, um, like a best of well, like five and, it, five and two instead of nine and three? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I'm sure somebody else is like TVN. What are you saying? But uh, for me, this is all purely selfish. <laughs> but um, well, you know, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying, though, because we have actually had several people in the Discord say since the release of Gauntlets again, I haven't been able to hit Legend because such a sizable amount of their time in game is spent trying to complete their Gauntlet runs that they didn't have time to ladder like they used to to be able to hit Legend. Maybe that's a good thing for the game. You know, I think I remember like way back when when they did something similar to this um, in Direwolf days, um, they had a thing where you played a certain number of games. And once you play 10 games, it's over. And your record gives you rewards. So if the run was play seven games, you could lose seven games. Or you could win all seven games. But one way or the other, it's just seven games. Yeah, and then it's right. Then I'm happier. Because, like, my yeah, then I know getting in, okay, I'm at least getting an hour of playtime because it's seven games. Right. At least mm-hmm. an hour. So I'm not going to. And if you get some bad luck, you're like, well, I can always turn it around and go four three, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but it's also if I'm going on this hot win streak, I don't have to get all the way to eight wins and three losses and burn five more games. You know, sure. Uh, I don't know. That might just I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking. I'm going to stop yeah. talking. now. OK, well, yeah, let's just say that's enough talk from both of us about the gauntlet. We've we've both talked <laughs> enough about it. Let's move on to our new segment, um, uh, which we are doing now um, when we don't have a guest on called uh, a deck highlight segment. Can I carry a weapon? Shine your boots? Back rub, perhaps? 
Okay, DBN, you're going to kick us off with this deck highlight statement where we're actually going to spend a little bit of time focusing in on a very on a specific deck or a specific archetype. And uh, you're going to kick us off with this one because you've been playing this deck. So tell us a little bit about what we're talking about today. Yeah, so I did just get disconnected for inactivity on my Tesla client. So I'm waiting for this to pull up so I can actually look at what I'm talking about because it's, it's helpful for me. But yeah, Goblin Monk. Uh, Goblin Monk. I've been playing a lot of Goblin Monk. And actually two variants. Uh, and really, so I, I did a video. You can check it out on my YouTube if you want to see it. I kind of, I do go somewhat in depth with it. Um, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a guide in one, one match. Um, you can, you can watch it um, over there. But uh, um, it's an aggro build. And uh, the thing about it is, frankly, is, and the most interesting thing, and the reason why I chose this, I have no idea if this is good or not. I went 12 and 2 with it, but I have no idea if it's good. <laughs> okay. Right? Uh, because, frankly, or rather, I have no idea if it's the best it can be. Okay, sure. So you know that you found something that's at least decent, but maybe not optimized. Right. It's so far from optimized, mostly because of the insane amount of choices that actually that like aggro monk has right now. Hmm. Right. And, and so like I wanted to use the cards from jaws. So I won't really wanted to use uh, the bloody hand chef in particular, which, you know, I know he's a fan favorite of yours. Um, I love, I love him. It is like that. He's a goblin. Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, in, well, and it's a really neat effect that can snowball very, you know, very bad <laughs> for the opponent anyways. Uh, but also like dusty or skirmisher, uh, I think brotherhood suspect is, has been excellent. Brotherhood Suspect's nutty. I mean, this I'm just going to say... one mana 2-4 that gives your opponent a, a completed contract on its Yeah, when it dies. Yeah. <laughs> Brotherhood Suspect's yeah. nutty because it trades super well into things. And, like... So if you if you picture, like, as goblins, you're going to have a certain amount of curse effects in from either... And, and this build runs three Bitterfish Witch and three Murkwater Witch... And I don't know if that's mm -hmm. a perfect combination, but you've got curse effects, not curse, but curse effects. Um, so that removes Wardcrafters and, and the ilk. Meanwhile, Brotherhood Suspect and Dusty or Skirmisher clean up, uh, you know, Barrow Stalkers and stuff, at least trading evenly, sometimes better. Like Brotherhood Suspect trades with Bruma Profiteer are pretty popular uh, to drop in tokens. Yeah, and that's live. a great trade. That's a great trade. Mm -hmm. Um. So, but this build of mine, and the reason why I say, like, it's so far from optimized is I can picture, like, two or three variants here. And the variant I chose to run is, like, uh, using Goblin Skulk mm -hmm. and running Murkwater Goblins as the zero cost. So the Murkwater Goblin is a zero mana, zero one. It's a goblin, and on your turn, it has plus two attack. So on your turn, it's a two one for, for, for zero, and on their turn, it's a zero one for zero. Um, I'm running two copies in here. I don't think three is necessary because if you ever get a single pilfer off with Goblin Skulk, you're happy. You know, sure. you don't need to go for three. Um, and Murkwater Goblins aren't really great top decks, obviously. Uh, but I, I've been thinking about yes. Goblin Skulk and like it at three defense, it survives a lot more things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you play it down on like four or five or six, um, they usually have a higher priority target. To kill something like a if you have a a murkwater savage 
a bloody hand chef, something that's growing mm-hmm. over time. They have to respect that over the goblin skulk. Um, and then the goblin skulk is in there to pull the murkwater goblins, and the murkwater goblins come down uh, so that you can really capitalize on the murkwater skirmisher, which gives all other friendly goblins plus two, plus two. Right? Which is so a bonkers build, card. It's a right. really good card. It's, Murkwater Goblins are also really good with Murkwater Savage, which whenever you summon another green creature, Murkwater Savage gets plus one, plus one. So if you have a goblin, let's say you you know, ringed out a skulk and you're planning to bring in Murkwater Savage on three, you can pilfer with the skulk and then get your go- Murkwater Goblin for free. Go Savage, Goblin, your Murkwater Savage already gets buffed. It's a 3-3 three, yes. three for three now on the same turn that it's played. Um, so really it's capitalizing on the insanely powerful Murkwater Skirmisher, but it, it's kind of seeding uh, a couple slots that would be more powerful if you played more aggressively, more competitively statted creatures at those slots. So, for instance, when I play Goblin Skulk, I'm giving up on Penitus Oculatus Agents, East March Crusaders, Corner Club Gamblers, Golden Initiates. This deck doesn't have any of those guys. And can you imagine a world in which... You don't play three golden initiates, three corner club gamblers, and like anything green, like anything monkish. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I mean those are really strong cards. Yeah, right. those are really strong. I mean, I imagine you're probably playing Cloud Rest Illusionist, right? I am. Yeah, because that card in and of itself, along with Bloody Hand Chef, is very, very strong. Well, it synergizes, right? And Shining Saint and Cloud Rest Illusionist allow our usually aggressively statted creatures things that are going to be higher on attack than defense, uh, or creatures that we don't want to die in trades, hence, so like Bloody Hand Chef, Mournhold Trader, um, Murkwater Savage, we don't want these dying in trades, but sometimes you still have to take trades. So we run the Shining Saints and the Cloud Resolutionists, and even if they don't get the value from the Bloody Hand Chef, they still protect and trick trades with creatures that would die otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I run two Murkwater Scourges, although that's on the chopping block, Murkwater Scourge is typically a very mid-range card, but when it's adding to your goblin account for your Murkwater Skirmisher, um, I think the curse that it gives you is very, very useful. Um, but uh, I, that that might be on the chopping block down the road. And, of course, I'm not running a lot of greens because we really want Murkwater Savage to get a lot of value. So that's one variant, and this is what interests me so much about Goblin Monk, right? I can now, take do you play a lot of the? Are you playing a lot of the movement the movement package? Just three and moving shadow shifts. Okay, so Just you're not running the Khajiit that gives plus one, plus one whenever you move something. No, and that brings me to my next point. There's a build that goes hyper aggro. It it doesn't run, like, uh, Goblin Skulks because they're too slow. It do- maybe doesn't run Murkwater Witches because they're too slow. And instead it runs Dune Stalkers and Dune Smugglers to try to keep things alive, move around, switch lanes up. Uh, and I played with that a little bit uh, myself, and that seemed decent. Um, then there's a build that uh, runs curses instead of Murkwater Goblins and mm-hmm. cuts the Skirmishers to two to give you a little bit more flexibility in your three and four slot. Um, then there's a build that cuts Murkwater Goblins and Goblin Skulks and instead beefs up the three, four, and five slot. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. so many ways to adapt aggro Goblin Monk, and it just feels like I, I don't even know if there's a way to know what's better. And I splashed when I played. I, I picked up a, a list and I actually splashed purple and um, played Empire. And I did not run Skulks 
in that deck, but I played a lot of the Goblin Package and I added um, the three feathered Warchief or whatever, the one that reduces someone's health to one. Yeah, um, because, one. yeah, it made it a lot easier for me to buff my Bloody Hand Chef's attack or their health really well. And I actually went up against uh, a, like a Slay Halalu deck that threw the, the big six, seven werewolf down. And what I didn't realize is that when you play the bloody hand or the, the three feathered chief or whatever, um, with the, uh, the new goblin with prophecy that gives a creature minus one, minus one, mm-hmm. um, it just kills anything. It, 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 it's goblins that function a turn later, but in the same way as you would, um, a curse into leaf lurker. Yeah. Um, and I played that with a bloody hand chef on the board and gave my bloody hand chef plus one plus seven, um, making it very difficult to get rid of. And uh, really is sort of enjoyed that and found that the empire list with the Oathmans um, and with um, some like other token generating stuff. So basically empire token empire deck with the goblin package worked rather well because the goblins, when you played them, they synergized really well. Um so that, that, that's even another option to add to something that you can play around with and experiment with. Yeah. Um, well, and that brings me to the other side of the goblin coin, if you will. Uh, mid-range goblin monk. Uh, I've been playing mid-range goblin monk, and it's a pretty aggressive mid-range list, but it's definitively mid-range. Well, it would, it would have to be, right? Well, right, yeah. I mean, Monk can't play a super slow mid-range just because it doesn't have the the threats. Well, neither can Goblins. So if you're going to play mid-range, it's going to be on the aggressive well, I don't side know of if I, te- I don't know if I actually agree with that. I think okay, Goblins okay. can play a slower mid-range, uh, but I would look at Scout uh, or Empire, actually, as a mm. you know more slower, like a slower-paced um, mid-range. Uh, mostly, but you, you probably don't run all the Goblins, right? Sure. Uh, you run some of the goblins, and you run the ones like the the one you the three fe- three feather war chief scourges. You probably run uh, bitterfish witch. You mm-hmm. probably still run dune uh, dust eater skirmisher because that card's a beast. Uh, but um, yeah, that card is very strong in in yeah. whatever you want to trade to control the early game. Right. Uh, but what this does is it's got a very similar opener, but we have uh, this build. And, and by the way, this build was originally given to me by Neon Greensleeves, but I've adapted it uh, after playing it a little bit. I've, I've decided there were some cards in there that I, I didn't care for and I wanted to switch out. Uh, but Neon Greensleeves, if you hang out with them in the community, is a really awesome dude and uh, a good theory crafter for sure. Um, but he had been playing it up to Legend, um, and uh, I decided to give it a go. And I haven't... I actually I played about, I don't know, six or seven games with it. Uh, haven't lost with it. I haven't had as much time to really grind heavily to see what its weak points are but i i did change some things out but so this one has it still has a pretty uh heavy two and three count right but it does go ahead and say all right listen we're not going to run the murkwater savages um we're going to go the ahead one that buffs your other goblins right no no, no the, the savage is the one that when buffs you up when you play green, green cards, yeah mm-hmm. uh, so it's not going to run i'm not going to run the savage because it, it, we we're not we're, we're curving through about turn five. We're curving things out more often than we're swarming. Uh, we have less one drops in the deck. Um, so we only are running like two pawnbrokers here um, because even though, even though pawnbroker can be absolutely bonkers, uh, it's much better on ring or in a deck with lots of one drops, right? Um, and instead, we're, we're looking at things like, now I'm still running two goblin skulks, but here I'm running curses instead of murkwater goblins. 
mm-hmm. up at the four drop slot, I'm only running two of those Murkwater Skirmishers, but I'm running three Murkwater Scourges for a total of 18 goblins in the list. We take the curve up higher. We include, uh, on top of the Leaf Lurkers, we all, or on top of the Cliff Racers, we add Leaf Lurker. We add mm-hmm. the Gray Fox, uh, which I've oh. actually had a lot of success with. Yeah. Uh, yeah and the then we put in... in yeah, he's cool. I think he's a really good card, and and just I mean he can go and fetch removal or a lane swap or whatever when you're trying to trying to push some. I've won several games with him so far, because uh, you have to figure your opponent is going to play good cards, <laughs> so you just steal their good. That cards. is a safe bet unless you play against me and I play a skeleton on and turn one. Skeleton. Then you can figure this guy's about to play a bunch of bad cards. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your bone, daddy. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't hurt. Um, but then we run three Sheer Point Dragons, a Rosendar, and a Sai Sahan. Now, there's some flexibility. You could do some different things up in the top end here. Um, I could even see running, and I can't remember, the Clockwork Apostle. I'm actually a fan of a Clockwork Apostle at the top end of a um, monk, a mid-monk deck. Especially if it's more aggressive. Apostle? Can you? Because uh, I don't even know what that is. I don't think oh, I've yeah, played that the, card. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a seven-cost, three-three uh, high elf. Summon, give another friendly creature plus four, plus four, it becomes neutral. Okay, so I've played it in Arena, and that's the only place. I actually have played several uh, mid-range decks that use that, one or two copies of that at the top end, and it's, a little, it's very bursty. Um, oh, sure it is, yeah. Um, I also think that like this list, I would probably want uh, to put a Monk Strike in, and I haven't figured out what I want to cut for the Monk Strike. But it's still running that core, you know, package of the Bloody Hand Chefs with the Shining Saints, with the Cloud Restolutionist. It's just making room for some of those, you know, um, more reactive cards like the Leaf Lurker, like putting another Scourge in. It's running Golden Initiates. You know, we've got um, the uh, like the Shearpoint Dragons, which can synergize very heavily. So it, it, it's oh, yeah. still... The Shearpoint Dragons have to be, like, a key feature in the mid-range package, right? Well, right, it is. And it, it's one of those cards, too, that, like, um, when, you, when you think about it, if you have a Shearpoint Dragon down uh, and you Cloud Rest um, one, of their, one of their guys, uh, that, that, uh, that gets increased by an extra one, too. So it'll actually be a minus five attack. Oh, interesting. You don't, you don't realize that, but... Um, yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. Course, of course, we've got a Nasi in here. You know, we've people got don't to, realize that because very few people have played Monk in the last three years. Yeah, which is funny because I've been, I've been thinking. I think Monk is one of the best decks to ladder with if you're an aggro mid range player. And I, it, mm. and I'll tell you why because I know that doesn't seem normal, but nobody knows what the heck is in your list. Yeah, the that's same, true. You have the element of surprise on your side with that. So well, they don't know how to mulligan against it. They may figure out what your game plan is. They may figure out if you're aggro or mid-range. They may make that assumption. But they don't know if you're running movement monk, goblin monk, uh, mid-range, you know, a slower pace monk. They, you could run just straight good stuff monk where, like, you cut, like, the – the you just run the best things at each, you know, uh, at each point in the curve, and it wouldn't be a bad deck. There's so many adaptations, and that's the thing, like, Pinnitus Oculatus Agent, Golden Initiate, you know, you've got uh, the, uh, if you want to run Green Heavy Monk and run Nimble Ally, you can, you can run, like, uh, uh, East March Crusaders, you could have a Grizzly Gourmet in the deck, they just don't know! If you want to get really crazy, you can play Altar Monk, Yeah. bring Altar Monk back. You can, (laughs) resurrect it. but you could. Resurrect it, bring it back for me. Heck, there's Token Monks that run Resolute Ally. 
Uh-huh. Oh yeah. You there's, know? there's been some viable token monks from, from time to time that just basically pull in some of the, the movement elements from green and Anasi, and then basically run almost a mono yellow monk list. Yeah. yeah. And, well, well, and you've got the mountain lion now and the mountain lion has been making its appearance in a lot of assassin lists. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty strong card. Regain a magicka. I mean, you can cur- on turn five. It's like hitting the ring, you know. Mm-hmm. That I think that is a really. I think that was an undervalued card in a set. That that is a big boon to some aggressive decks. I think if the card was a three-three, it wouldn't see play. But at four-three, that mm-hmm. extra aggressive stat line that can trade up into things or push more damage face is just what the doctor ordered. Uh, yeah. When it comes to uh, when it comes to monk, plus like, I mean, you have a lot of tricks between cloud rests, monk strikes, shadow shifts. Like, I think monk is a great, and I stand by it. I really do think monk is is a really good laddering class, but it's punishing. This is something I talked about in my video. Like, I think monk is really punishing. Like, you have to be on top of your lane placements because you don't have wards to fall back on. You know. You don't have steel scimitars to slap on things. You have some tricks, but your tricks are a a little bit different than what you would have in blue or red. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. and it just, it makes your lane placement just that much more important, I think. So I think people could find a couple of these decks, right? And uh, explore it and see your guide if they visited your YouTube channel, right? So if you go to YouTube, search for Dead Broke Nerd, they would be able to find some of these decks and uh, and start exploring them and experimenting with some of these monk decks. Yeah, so I do have uh, the aggro goblin list that uses the Murkwater uh, goblin and kind of just trying to capitalize on the skirmishers as these big finishers. Uh, so that one is, there is a guide for that on my YouTube page. Um, I can put the, in fact, you, what, probably what we should do, Mark, is put the deck codes for these in the description. Yeah, I actually, I just went ahead, I, I went ahead and I threw the deck codes for these inside of our chat right now. And I'm going to throw both of the deck codes right now in the very top of our announcements um, for our Discord, an aggro and a mid list. So make sure you check those out um, because we want you to get a chance to be able to experiment around with DBM's Goblin Monk lists there. So yeah, they're both they're the both there to, to check those things out. So if you really want to find them and you're not in the chat, you're listening to the show, join our Discord, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, great, man. That's that's awesome. It sounds like you had a lot of fun with these. I'm I like I said, I checked out an Empire version, and it's something I'm gonna go back to because Goblins was the one thing I swore I was gonna check out with this new set, <laughs> and just haven't had the opportunity to really explore much with them. Um, so I'm gonna take this aggro list and take it for a spin this week because I definitely want to check that out. And uh, the Bloody Hand, the Bloody Hand uh, Chef is one of my favorite cards in this set. So. Definitely, yeah. definitely want to check it out. I think maybe in the next week or so, we should go back and revisit some of these hand buff decks that have come out because these are probably the biggest thing um, to talk, one of the biggest things to talk about in this set, this hand buff Redoran hand buff spell sword deck. And it features uh, a very special card near and dear to our hearts here, Faded Wraith, because we got to reveal it. And so that's something worth it. It's something worth checking out. Um, what do you say we move on and, and, and jump over to these couple of final thoughts that I thought I'd, I'd bring to us from stuff outside the game and before we get out of here? Cool. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into my final thoughts. Uh, 
Okay, so I was thinking this week and, and contemplating some of the things that we talked about last episode about IRL and um, what impact I think that does have on gaming, not just as a hobby, but also as a profession and um, uh, to delegitimize de- it. Um, I thought I would talk about something that I've talked about before with lots of people, um, just in terms of making better decisions throughout the whole of our lives. And that is the difference between 15 minute and 15 year decisions. And, and basically, as I've worked with teenagers throughout a large portion of my life, um, I've realized that teenagers tend to make decisions that is going to make them happy in 15 minutes um, and rarely make decisions that will make them happy in 15 years. Um, and oftentimes, just as human beings, we have a tendency to do that. We make decisions that will make us happy in 15 minutes, not decisions that are going to make us happy in 15 years. And so kind of, you know, the thought that I had was, hey, like this week, as you go about the decisions that you're going to make, there's going to be many opportunities to make decisions that will make life funner, easier, faster in 15 minutes. Um, but will not benefit you in any way in terms of becoming the person that you want to become. I think most people have a, a something in their mind or in their heart to a picture of the person that they want to be in the future. Even if you're old like me, you still have an image of the person that you want to be. Um, but many of the decisions that you make today and tomorrow and the next day will determine the person that you're going to be in 15 years. And if we consistently make decisions that will make us happy in 15 minutes over decisions that will make us happy in 15 years, um, rarely do we become the person that we want to become 15 years from now. Um, so I don't know. That's my thought. My thought is just, you know, hey, this week, make make some 15-year decisions instead of some 15-minute decisions. Uh, I don't know. I may Hopefully that settles well with people. But uh, I don't DBN any thoughts on that final thought? No, I think you, uh, I think you summed it up really well. I mean, it's uh, there's the immediate gratification choice, and then there's the delayed gratification, and I mean that's something they teach kids. Uh, you know, I, I remember doing an activity in I think first or second grade, where the teacher said, "Okay, um, I'm going to give everybody like a little a mini candy bar, like a Snickers or something. Everybody, here you go." Um, if you eat it now, you can eat it now if you want. And if you wait till the end of class, you'll get another one. Mm-hmm. But if you eat it before the end of class, you just get that one. And it's just a simple exercise in delayed gratification and being able to, you know, be patient and understand, okay, oh, I really want to eat it now, oh, man. But, you know, an hour later before, you know, uh, recess, you know, get that get that second piece of candy. You get the, you know, you have to, it's not about candy, but uh, I think that it's definitely, sometimes you, it's, sometimes it's just worth doing those little exercises to remind you and your body and your brain that I can wait. Sure. I can wait. And I, you know, it's, it, I think it's easy to take this thing and compare it to like really destructive lifestyles, right? Like people can look at this and say like, I don't want to be an alcoholic in 15 years. So I'm not going to make this 15 minute decision to get drunk or I don't want to be this or that in 15 years. I'm going to make this 15 minute decision not to do these things. Um, And, uh, but I think that this applies to a much larger scope of things than just that in terms of like, what time do I choose to go to sleep? Because there's a 15-minute decision that says I really want to play another game of Team Fight Tactics after I finish recording this episode. 
And then there's a 15 year decision that says I'd like to get more sleep so that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not as easily aggravated and I can be more patient with my daughters. And I'm a better father because in the end of the day, in 15 years from now, will I care about how good I was at team fight tactics or will I care or will I care about how good of a father I was? I'll care about how good of a father I was. And it may not seem like a big deal, but that's one of those small but very significant decisions between 15 minute gratification and who I want to be in 15 years. Uh, and you have to have a vision, I think, and a, an idea of who you want to be 15 years from now. And that takes a little bit of inward walking and a little bit of introspection and a little bit of time to, you know, get off by yourself and really think about who do I see myself being in the future. Um, but then make decisions that'll help you get there. And yeah, that's my final thoughts. I, I won't belabor it. I'm a preacher, so I'll keep preaching. I don't want to do that on this. So yeah, that's my that's my final thoughts. That's, that's going to be it. Okay, well, let's work on getting out of here, man. Uh, DBN, uh, people want to get in contact with you. They want to see what stuff you're putting out there for, for Legends, for MythGuard, for all sorts of stuff. So how can people get plugged into you? Yeah, so I stream between three and four times a week at twitch.tv slash deadbrokenerd, uh, all lowercase. You should be able to find me fairly easily. Um, I'm also on Twitter, deadbrokenerd. You can tweet at me or DM me if you have any questions, concerns, comments, etc. cetera. Um, you know, just be nice. I'm fragile. <laughs> Uh, and then you can also uh, check out my YouTube page, which is what I'm putting the most effort into right now, uh, posting between three and four videos every week. And uh, for a variety of games, Tessel, Mythgard, uh, and Gwent currently, but uh, I'm not precluding other games should I grow interested in them. Um, and that is The Dead Broke Nerd on YouTube. Uh, so hope to see you guys around. Uh, if you have any questions... Um, if you just want to like ask for an opinion on something or you want to run something by me, ideas, if you ever want to you know, uh, team up for some sort of content or something, if you want me to look at a deck list, if you are new to the game and, and are struggling with uh, you know, the lanes or runes or prophecies and you just need some tips, feel free to message me. Best place to do that is on Discord, but if you are just thoroughly objective uh, to Discord, you can always message me on Twitter. Uh, I do check that, though not as often, and I will uh, do my best to get back to you. Awesome. Uh, if you want to get plugged in with me, email me at eslegendscast at gmail.com. Um, we'll go ahead and throw a link in the chat tonight to the Discord because I forgot to do that last week. So I'll make sure that I get to that, make sure I throw a link up to the Discord this week um, once we're once we're done recording here. Uh, I think the thing that I'm going to plug this week, like if you listen to the other episodes, you know, you know, please email me if I can support you or pray for you in any way. I have a long list of people that I'm supporting in prayer and listening ears. Um, but also uh, through um, the thing I want to plug is our Patreon. So we're supported through Patreon primarily. Um, so you can become a patron. Patrons kind of get first dibs on a, a handful of things in our patron chat that's specific in Discord. Um, listen, guys, a dollar a month from a handful of viewers makes a big difference. Five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, all of that stuff makes a huge difference. And so um, we actually do have uh, a Jethron was, I think, our, our latest one this week. So he's our new patron. So want to do a shout out to Jethron. Thanks, man, for supporting the show. 
show. But you can go over to patreon.com, search Legends Cast, and uh, and you can pledge a buck, two bucks, five bucks, whatever a month to just show your support. That gets split and goes to me and DBN. And let me tell you, we ain't getting rich off of it. Um, <laughs> but it helps encourage us to continue making the show. And maybe it pays for a, a pack of cards or a portion of an electric bill. So we definitely appreciate uh, the support over there. So jump over there and support us if you are willing or you're inclined to give value back as you find value in what we're doing. Um, that's going to be it, I think, for about this episode. Uh, DBN, you got anything else that you want to add before we are ready to get out of here, man? No, sir. I just had a great time talking uh, talking Tesla and can't wait for next week. Uh, we do have a guest next week, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Silver Fuse is on next week. Um, so uh, join us next week, same time. Um, I just invited the entire chat to just download Discord instead of to our specific Discord because I don't know how to do anything. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, Silverfuse is going to be on next week with us. Um, and so if you have questions for Silverfuse, you can actually join our Discord, go to the podcast Q&A channel and post questions there. And we'll use that during our guest Q&A uh, part um, of the show with silver fuse next week so we're really excited we're trying to have a guest on basically every other week so we had cvh next, uh, last week we're having a uh, silver fuse on uh next so yeah make sure you tune in here live and check out the podcast wherever you check out podcasts it's going to do it for this week here of uh, episode number 20 of legends guys thank you so much for tuning in with us and we will catch you back here next week thanks for listening to legends cast a podcast about the cards the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week, and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com. <laughs>